listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Jack, and you, uh, you dropped a, a pleasant bomb on me just now. And I figured we just yeah. should just record right away so you could tell the people what you're doing because I'm probably more excited about this than anybody. So what did you just drop on me, Bracken? So Kirk, I'm going to race Indy in three weeks. What? And I say it with trepidation, and you're all fired up about it. Oh, so fired up, man. I'm so excited for you to get back out. Pumped up. Yeah. The last few episodes just talked me into it. Explain. Yeah, people's Q&As, talking our, our pacing through seasons, talking about how... Uh, in in particular, hearing editing it, hearing me tell people, if you really, really want to take a leap of faith, train, 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 and race along the way and see how you can surprise yourself. And I'm trying to do this rebuild, and I'm feeling like crap half the time, but feeling a little bit empowered with my fitness from time to time, even though fitness might not be the right word, but just feeling mm-hmm. like running's starting to progress. And what what am I going to do? Wait? Until I check every single box and then go out there and then start knocking the rust off or just use every race I can find from now until like spring to just get all those things back that I've missed over the last three years. So I'm just going to race everything that's drivable for the next five months and try to knock all that rust off and get the old cagey tricks back and then find fitness along the way. Damn it. I love that. God, I love that. It's like extending uh, Justin Hamilton's sentiment about the ultra, which he says, don't die in the chair. Yeah. And you can extend that out as like large scale, take a step back and be like, Bracken, don't die in the chair. Like if you like get up, get out, do it, race again, but don't sit there and and contemplate. Right. Because that never typically works out well for most. So I love it. Okay. Well, and I've I've started to feel more and more disconnected from the racing side of the sport. Realize that I think it's been something like 20 straight so-called, like, quote-unquote, appearances in the running-slash-OCR world have all been on the media side. There hasn't been a race in between. It's been almost—Matt Davis said something on when, when he and I had our, our little chat the other day about, mm-hmm. like, yeah, you, you're media. And I was like, damn it. I think he might be right. And I'm okay with embracing the professional side of things, but at my core, I'm a runner and I'm a racer. And I was a racer before I was a runner. I fell in love with running after a decade and a half of racing. And so I just, I'm not ready to write that off. It doesn't even have to be at a high level for me, even though I say that and on course, I'm going to be really mad at myself if I'm not racing at a certain level, but it doesn't have to be. I just have to be taking a shot. You know, it was that Larry Bird who said you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. Well, I'm sitting here three years in, realizing like I'm not even a, a, a player anymore. I haven't. You're I haven't zero for the zero. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So good for you. If if I don't race, I can only confirm that I'm not ready to race. Mm-hmm. If I do race, yeah, you might still confirm that, but 
you might I might just find that I've got a little bit more in the tank than I thought. That's the only way I have a chance of positive mindset moving into the winter. I mean this in the most loving way possible, so just take it that way. <sighs> okay. There are zero expectations. Zero. I'm done. It's past that. Right. And so the pressure would only be self-imposed, but at this point, man, you got to know the communities behind you. Like people are rooting for you, whether it's an epic failure or not. The fact that you've been through three surgeries, three surgeries, four surgeries, you're back. Like who cares how it goes? It's ceremonious. As soon as the last Aru goes, which I feel a little, I don't know, like the Aru's, the gun goes off Mm -hmm. and you start running like that is going to be ceremonious in its own right. And so I'm excited for you. Do you have, um, do you have anything, uh, in mind after Indiana or Indiago as they call it, or no? Well, two weeks later, there is city field, huh? which I did last year and enjoyed it, but I don't want to put too much on there because I don't want to start changing my training. Yep. I've been really enjoying threshold training, really, really enjoying it. Getting a bit of the Kirk life. It's a good life. And I don't want to change that. So I can change the, over the next two weeks, I might add a carry or two into one of my, like a tempo in the middle type thing, or I might do my threshold. I've been doing it on the bike path or on the treadmill. I might do it on the cross country course and maybe hop a fence or two along the way just to feel that once or twice, but I'm not going to change what I'm doing. And a stadium is so specific that I, I would want to start doing all just a bunch of high intensity circuit work and Metcons and compromised runs and i don't want to do that right now so i might show up there okay but it'll be like last year where i did one compromise run a day and a half before and called you and said i think i'm fit enough to race (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, when in doubt go longer and we know threshold is king so you'll we've been preaching that stuff anyways and i want that to i want that to be my entire next year just one big one in doubt run longer and run threshold and so I, I want to set that tone now. So, yeah, I do want to race. I do want to see people. I have not done a single OCR. I have not run a race in 2022, as far as I'm aware of. I'm looking back because I had... Oh, no, that's not true. I did High Rocks. Oh, yeah. I did one High Rocks. So I have one race in 2022, and that's not technically OCR, and it's definitely not road or trail. So I have to at least hit an OCR or road in a trail before the year's done to, in my mind, consider myself a racer still. I can't go a whole calendar year without doing something. Well, I like it. What's going on over there, Bracken? Nothing but sirens today. I wonder if people forgot how to drive already. Okay. That first little got. snow on yeah. the road and people lose their minds. That is likely. Well, that's good news for, for me to hear, man. I don't know why, but that really pumps me up. I, uh, I've been getting a lot of questions. Like every week, a few people are chirping at me on Instagram saying, why aren't you racing? One, one message I got out of the blue just said, it's so tough to see you sidelined right now. I want to see you out on course. Just somebody being selfish with wanting to see me race. Well, and I said, I said, well, sideline implies it's not a choice. And and this is a choice of mine, but what I'm doing is I'm enjoying the great outdoors and camping and being out in the woods and embracing my granola eating hunting hippie self and then uh, i think this winter like uh, december through late spring i'm gonna i'm gonna travel and hit it and race because there's seasons of life right and my season Mm -hmm. of life in the fall is being outside doing other things i love and then uh once things slows down i think i'm gonna i'm gonna go tear it up a bit maybe we can 
we can convene at, on a race course. That would be fun. I'm going to do Jacksonville in February. I'm hoping to go down to Central Florida in, in December and then maybe go do Jacksonville again um, nice. as well. So, all right. We've got family down there. They're uh, not aging, but starting to age and starting to have health issues. And it's one of those. We had a funeral in the family a couple weekends ago, and everyone mm-hmm. kind of, it's that that moment where you look around and realize, yeah, if this is the only time we're seeing each other, I see you once or twice more for the rest of your life. And that's a sobering thought. You know, if someone's 70 and you see yeah. them once every funeral, that's, you're counting the times you'll ever see them again. And the last time you see them will be theirs, yeah, which is even more depressing. Yeah. So we're going to try to be a little more intentional about, yeah, we, there's a race there, you live right near there, let's, my dad and I will go down there and he'll spend time with his brother and I'll get a race in. So Jacksonville is the, the next confirmed on my schedule. We'll chat. We'll yeah. chat about that. Um, folks, speaking of media, uh, me and Bracken are uh, commentating the Blue Mountain Beast oh, here. Yeah. Just me and Bracken. Megita's got some other thing going on, so it's just us two uh, coming at you, whispering in your ears for the whole thing. It's going to be like a running public episode uh, where we don't have to make up the shit we're talking about because we're going to be seeing it and being able to react like it's going to be fantastic. So just me and Bracken. I don't know who's going to play the Magita quarterback role yet. We haven't decided like who's going to do the intro commercial. I don't know deal. But anyways, just us. So you better tune in. I think uh, probably coverage starts at seven a.m. Eastern, which would be who six a.m. Central. Even where I mean, it's going to be an early one. I might call in. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have R- Rich Rabbiting. Rich don't. Ryan's out there rabbiting? I don't know. That'd be sweet. I think he's field correspondent rabbit for this one. And I don't know if Jack's there or not. Didn't sound like it, but I'm looking forward to that with you, Bracken. Yeah, that'll be our first time solo together in the booth. Feels good. I uh, I have a ritual when we do these morning things. Like I need to get my workout done before because I feel like I'm, I'm like a better human if I work out, get the blood flowing, get some endorphins going. So I'll probably have like a 3 a.m. wake up so I can get my workout done and then be on and ready. But it's worth it for the good people. I had a, a 520, a 540 wake up on Saturday to get the workout in. You know, not crazy early, but meeting a guy named Matt at the at the Rock Ski Hill. Got two hours of time on feet in. It's a little tempo in the middle. We were texting that morning, doing very different things with our time that morning. But yeah, yeah. But at four forty, I snapped awake, maybe four thirty, because I realized my watch wasn't on my wrist. I'd left it on Lisa's nightstand, and that's my alarm. I have that to vibrate so that my phone doesn't go off and wake people up. Mm-hmm. And I realized my watch was over there, and in that half awake mentality, it's like I shouldn't go over and start fumbling around and trying to find it. I'll just set my phone to go off. But then I couldn't fall back asleep because I didn't know if I'd set the phone correctly. And then I had to pee. And so it turned into a, a 440 wake up rather than a, a 540. But now I see it just as that was prep for this weekend. Wake up, get our long runs in together but apart, and then get on the mic. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, and then I was chirping you at like 5 a.m. Yeah. Your phone, yeah. Um and then the last thing, guys, uh, as you saw, shirts are up for sale. Uh, I think these are the sweetest rounds of shirts we have. They're just fantastic. Um, they look really good when you wear them, so you want to get them. But the popular sizes are, like, almost gone already. So if you forgot to order, order now. We aren't going to be shipping these out until the weekend because we're, like, a one-man shop. And my girlfriend, Jess, bless her heart, 
uh, has to package all these and we're waiting on shipping materials. But uh, if you want your order to go out by this weekend, get it in before this weekend. We don't like ship out the day you order it because, again, we got like a life. We might do one round of shipments every week now. So get them in by Thursday this week. And the sizes are running out already, so you better get on it if you're going to buy them. That's it. Still waiting on mine too, so don't worry, <laughs> general public. You, you're you're going to get yours the same time I get mine, it seems. <laughs> Sorry about that, Bracken. We're waiting on shipping uh, shipping bags, so that's what they're coming in today. So, anything else? I think that pretty much sums it up. We're kind of batting cleanup today. I feel like we had to clean up a few things. And speaking of cleanup, um, we're gonna do a continuation of our Q and A episode that we did on Friday, mostly because we almost got to everything, but not quite. And it feels really, it's like a, it's like a spring cleaning or a fall cleaning, like clean them all out of the cash. So everybody's left satisfied and then we can move on without a Q and a for a while. So is that, that cool? I think I spent almost 20 minutes on the first question last time <laughs> and that set us up for failure and people, it's the worst when we start reading a question and it's, Hey, so I have a race coming up and I'd love an answer now and we're answering it seven weeks later and we realize we've missed the boat for you all we can possibly do is help anyone else who might have that same question for a future race so we're trying to clear this out so we can be done with it so yes i'm on board do you have any screenshots left i don't know i better check why don't we just start with yours okay i have seven um all right let's do your seven then i'll pull mine up yeah and uh all right we'll just jump into it no more rambling uh marco antico says q for you uh, should the percent reduction of mileage during down weeks differ based on experience level? I ask because most coaches I've spoken to all say 20% as a general rule and to take more if you feel you need it. Problem is, someone new to marathon training has no frame of reference on how to feel, so we simply go by the 20% rule, which doesn't seem to give any kind of relief for me. So what Marco is saying is that general recommendation would be to reduce your volume by 20% in a, a recovery week. That's what he's hinting at. I'm not a naturally gifted runner and have had to work really hard to improve over the years. After three years of good, consistent training, I am now in the midst of a 17-week training block for my first marathon. I feel as though my endurance is improving, but not necessarily my speed. Then again, I've never done this amount of mileage and I've been training through the summer months. I guess my fear, hence the nature of my question, is that I'm not giving myself enough recovery and thus not absorbing the full benefit of all the hard work fantastic question yeah it is i guess i'll start with the first question which is about deloading this is a, this is why i think that uh you and i spend so much time hedging our bets when we talk about topics some people might see it as hedging our bets are we look at it as we're trying to explore it from every possible mindset and perspective because if you just make a blanket statement like 10 percent rule or 20 percent rule that doesn't really translate well. So for example, if you had a hundred mile a week marathoner and you reduce 20% on a down week, that's 80 miles per week. The next week you're losing 20 miles per week. That is a significant reduction in volume. You do that again, you're down to 60 miles. Essentially. I mean, it's going to be really like what? 64. If you take it off of the 80, but so you go on a hundred to 80 to 64 on a three, on a two week taper. What if you were a your classic, I'm starting up running, I'll try to run five miles a day, five times per week. 25 miles per week, if you reduce 20% of that, what is that, five miles? 
as turning all your five-mile runs into a four-mile run. You're really not going to feel so deloaded during that. And then you would try to reduce it again. You just take another five miles off of that, which is down to three. And now you're going to start to feel that. So you might need a 40% reduction early on in your training in order to feel good. And that's why we don't like saying, yeah, all you got to do is this because it's rarely (laughs) the case. Things don't scale linearly with endurance sports, especially with impact-based endurance sports. So you're right. I think that you, if you're feeling, I think you trust your body more than you trust the numbers. I don't feel recovered, then you're not. Yeah. I, uh, I'm just going to say, it. I don't think 20% is enough. I don't care how many miles you're running. I think that is cutting it so close. Like if you're going to recover, recover. And so yeah. my athletes know I'm like 30 to 40%. And a lot of times, uh, within that is we, we slice out a run on a recovery week and replace it with cross training. If you normally are going to go six miles and it takes you 50 minutes we're 50 minutes of cross training that day. And that's another way you're still getting stimulus, but you're cutting time on feet. So that's like a way to cut that corner, which I really find I respond well to that. And so I've been implementing that with athletes and they seem to, but yeah, I think, I think this guy, he's onto something like, I don't think 20, 20 is not enough for me. I will tell you to feel a notable difference. And the, and the other thing to mention to Marco is that I don't know if you've experienced this Bracken, but in recovery weeks, like there's a delayed effect of like a week. Like people think, Oh, it's recovery week. I'm magically going to feel great. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you just put in three weeks of hell of training. Like that recovery week's probably going to feel like crap at best. You might start to feel good by your Saturday workout, but it's the following week or two where it really pays off once that sets in. So people get a misconception, like, thank God it's recovery week. And then they still feel like junk. And it's because that hasn't set in yet. Mm-hmm. So that's also something to think about too. You don't really know what your recovery week did until the the first week you get back to resuming normal training volume. Yeah. Yeah. And in your point there, like, are you tracking hours or miles? If you take two days off of running and replace it with the same amount of time on non-impact, your hours haven't changed, but your miles have dropped significantly. So which one's more imperative to look at during your week? Well, it's the one that allows you to feel the correct way. So I'm glad you referenced that point. And and yeah, it's the difference between a recovery week and a deload week are also important. Like in my mind, this is how I look at it. If I'm building up or doing a big block of training, I'm taking deloads throughout the time in order to keep the ball rolling. Like I'm deloading just enough so that I don't blow up two weeks from now. It's not to feel better. It's not necessarily to recover. It's just to the needle starting to tip into the red, bring it back under for a little bit so that I can bring it back up for a couple more weeks. And you just exist deload to deload, just keeping it under, keeping it rolling so that you can keep working hard. Whereas a recovery week, your goal is actually to recover. You drop it as much as you need to, to actually recover. And then that next week you feel good. So I think there's two different parts and marathon training is probably the hardest to get right because it's about progressive overload of volume. And you just accumulate fatigue and you kind of feel crappy. So that's, I know we still have to get to the second half of that question, but part of marathon training is existing in this kind of fatigue state because that's what a marathon is. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's, uh, I think just, just the tricky part is you don't really know if you're recovering enough in the moment. It's always like a delayed understanding. Mm-hmm. So it's not like one recovery run, one, one or two runs of lower volume or lower intensity isn't going to really tell you what it's doing for you in the moment. It's like, you just got to be able to like, why am I popping such good workouts now? Like I felt good more often than not. And then you look back and be like, oh, well I went on vacation last week and 
I kind of slacked a little, but now I'm fresh and recovered and be like, that's, it's that simple sometimes. Right. But you always have to look yeah. back at what you did seven to 10 days prior. So, uh, what's the second part of the question? I guess he, we really answered it. I thought you said something about not feeling like he's getting faster. Oh yeah. Well, I think that was, that was yeah. Secondary part. Do we need to address that necessarily? That would open a new can. Only to say that the great mistake of marathon training is to forget to run fast. Mm -hmm. You get faster with marathon training if you keep running fast. So if you're not having once or twice per week that you're turning the legs over fast in some capacity, then you're missing the mark a little bit. And that's that's the drawback of of running a lot of the marathon plans that are cookie cutter out there is that it has to give somewhere to make sure that people get through their plan without too many hiccups and they'll just back off speed right away. But yeah, that's the easiest way. If your marathon pace isn't fast, if it's more of a grind, then yeah, you're, you're probably getting a little slower at the shorter stuff and that feels sluggish then that's how it shows up. It's a good point. Yeah. Like for example, like if I go, if I go hit a marathon, my goal, let's just say will roughly be 540 pace for the marathon. Um, <laughs> challenging stretch but i think attainable potentially for me i'm going to be doing a lot of five minute pace work 40 seconds a mile faster and then 540 perspectively seems comfortably hard and so if your goal is to run seven minute pace or eight minute pace you should be looking at doing a lot of pace work i mean you need to get comfortable understanding your marathon pace and there's workouts for that a lot of those tempo threshold type stuff mm -hmm. but uh getting comfortable running about a minute per mile faster 30 seconds to a minute per mile faster is just going to really assist that. So that's a good point. Run fast. You got to run fast to be efficient at slower paces. Yeah. And this is one of those times where you have to identify accurately how fast are you. For someone who's like Tyler, Tyler German, if he's trying to run 212, if he's trying to run 5.0 pace per mile for a marathon, doing marathon pace keeps him fast. Right. If you're trying to run eight minute pace per mile, that is a totally worthy goal, but it's not going to make you faster. That's the type of pace that won't, like it'll make you have great endurance and engine, but you will probably feel slower after a while because you're not turning your legs over super fast to run eight minute pace. You're worried about building up your resistance to hold eight minute pace for three and a half hours. That's the difference between those two. So you do have to look at yourself and say, am I touching speeds or am I working on something different to be able to do this marathon goal? Yep. That's true. You'd be surprised, but like two minute intervals with 90 seconds rest, like a lot of rest where you're allowed to recover and then turn it over again, like how much that would move the needle in the moment. You may feel like shit in that workout. You still may feel slow ish, mm -hmm. but wait that week, two weeks afterwards, and suddenly you'll start to feel more efficient. Um, but doing those workouts with actual rest in them, which I don't think builds a lot of fitness, but it builds a lot of efficiency and that's king. So I have been faithfully doing speed sprinkles every single week, every single week since I started running. And I just completed my third, arguably fourth good week of training, goodish week, mm -hmm. but my seventh straight week of some sort of speed sprinkle. And this is the only real difference in my rebuild from past injuries and my running, even if I'm not fast or I don't have great endurance right now, my day-to-day -day runs feel better in the moment they may destroy sure. me more afterwards but my running form feels better than it has since probably 2017 and i am 100 percent convinced it's just from seven straight weeks of running anywhere from 4:30 to 5 when i first started 5:20 pace 
in short little bursts, not trying to get tired, just trying to run well. Got mm-hmm. it. You know, after talking to VJ, after talking to Danny Moreno, after talking to Mark Batres, people who are keeping intense but casual interval work every single week, no matter what, those are the people who always turn it over during races. So I made a point of that and I'm already feeling it. I'm doing no actual speed work, but the speed sprinkles have been a revelation for me. How is that looking? Like, just give me an example. I started out going 30 30 at 520 pace. And just 520 and then what? What's uh, the 30 off? Off. Totally off. Oh, totally off. So not a true 30 30 workout. Just stand on the side, shake my legs out, just try to run perfect. And at the beginning, 520 for 30 seconds was I had to work to stay perfect. Well, that's like 415 on your treadmill, you know, so. (laughs) I'd only do 10 to 12 rounds. I think the first time I did uh, 11 rounds of that, which is not a workout. It was just designed to, and I'm programming something two days later to go fast so that I don't overwork there. And now I moved up to, I did 30, 30 down to up to 20 rounds down to like 450 pace. And then I changed it up. And this last time I was doing 30, 60 at like 435, 440 pace. Hmm. Just six, seven rounds, turning it over fast, not really building fatigue. I'd do like three reps, switch to a different pair of shoes, three reps, switch to a different. And then at the end, I do one like four minute hold at five flat pace just to extend it a little longer. But again, not a workout workout, just touching it. And the next day I'm fine. And two days later, I'm totally fine to rip a workout. But it's been in the 2010s. I did that for two weeks, 20 seconds on, 10 seconds, like Tabata style, just at five minute pace to try to feel that a little bit and then uh 20 second hill sprints well you're greasing the groove there's power to that yeah throughout the seven weeks maybe eight now that's what i've been hitting a couple weeks of each of those things this is why we take so long to get through q a's because we end up giving 15 minute answers <laughs> to questions <laughs> didn't i say i wasn't gonna do that well no this is a combo effort i'm just saying like yeah. we're 25 minutes deep and we started this about 12 minutes ago and we're on question number one so we need to be Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. And I think it's pertinent right now. I'm feeling the effects and I'm starting from zero ish right now. Yeah. Not anymore, but I was starting from kind of like zero ish. Mm-hmm. So for anyone who is feeling that I just don't feel good when I'm running, I'd start with a speed sprinkle. Yeah, that'll be another shirt we're going to have to get. Speed sprinkle. That'll look good on a shirt somehow. We need an artist to put something together for us there. I picture a like one of the powder puff girls, like yes. jumping in the background with speed sprinkle in a rainbow with glitter exploding. And I want to get a shirt with a, a dude standing naked in a doorway, <sighs> like butt crack from the back. But if we okay. could get an artist to put some drawings together on both of those speed sprinkle and send those to Kirk's and account. dude. Yeah, that's fine. I'll look, I'll filter through them. We'll send you some free t-shirts for doing it and give you a shout out. Um, all right, let's move on to the next question. True blue seven says, Training Tuesday question. I am a runner with no real training, but do it for pure enjoyment. I struggle with heart rate monitoring. What techniques do you use to stay within a specific heart rate range? You want to kick it off? Well, I mean, they do make it easy for us. If you have a heart rate monitor and it's either on your watch or ideally linked to your watch from your arm or your chest, you can set heart rate zones. And your watch will just alert you when you start to go outside of it. You can say that today I'm doing it in zone two. And my zone two is 135 to 145. And your watch will beep at you if you leave those parameters. 
So I think early on, and we've talked about this before. I used to play the heart rate game with myself where I would, I would try to guess my heart rate and then look down at it and then guess my heart rate and then look down at it. And you do that for a few weeks and you get it. And for some people, it might take a few months. Still. I do that every you still do that? Just to be Yeah, just to be curious how good I am. Hmm. So yeah, now you let, let your tech work for you early on until you don't need the tech anymore. This is the time where you lean on technology. Depends what the goal of your run is. Like if you're going out to run for stress or you just need a like an outlet, like I don't care what your heart rate looks like, honestly. If this is for mental health or enjoyment, as you say, and you need to go work to clear up your brain or the rest of your day, like don't look. But if you know you need to keep your effort in check, that's all. If you're an enjoyment runner and you're like, I can't just run hard every day, which you cannot, that's going to eventually break you down. Uh, then I think it's important, like if you're one of those who just tend to burn it too hot, which most like enjoyment runners are, right, Bracken? Your wife, Lisa, like probably she doesn't prescribe a heart rate. She just goes and runs by feel and probably cooks mm-hmm. a little hot every day, which is okay. Um, anyways, as we've mentioned before on previous episodes, but it's been a while, just pull up the heart rate function on your watch. And it's all you don't look at pace. You don't look at anything else. You walk the hills if you notice spikes in heart rate. None of that's a problem. Um, but you don't look at any other metric other than your heart rate. I mean, you can pull it up on your, I mean, my watch, I can just have it on the whole screen if I want to mm-hmm. give yourself a parameter and just hold yourself back. I don't know the the thing about that question. That's tough is I don't know your natural tendency as a runner. Meaning like, I don't know, like, are you one who have to force yourself to run? Whereas you find yourself run walking often just cause like you mentally quit. Or are you one who goes out and grinds every day and you're burning yourself too hot? Like it's tough to know, but the simple thing is to just, yeah, always look. Don't don't guess. Just look. It's easy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Do you have any more to add to that? I feel like we didn't give like a great answer there for some reason. No, I think that's good. In terms of trying to keep in zones, let the tech work for you. Okay. Next question. Chris Carlack. Uh, this is an email to both of us called Training Tuesday Questions. Uh, great podcast. I started listening months back when I began my training for an upcoming 50K. I have learned a ton from you and you've kept me entertained on my on many long run or 5 a.m. weekday workouts. I have a couple of questions related to my upcoming ultra. Uh, he has two. So we'll start with number one and then we'll go to two. On many podcasts, you referenced the need to not go out too hot, especially on a race that can go five to six plus hours. But I've noticed the effect that temperature has had on my heart rate pace heart rate slash pace at temperatures in the fifties. I can, I can hold a long run aerobic heart rate at a pace 30 to 45 to even 60 seconds faster than the same heart rate. When the temp is in the low seventies, I know that the large variance likely has quite a bit to do with my lower level of fitness, recreational runner in quotes and size and age 50 years, 205 pounds. With all that being said, would it be in my best interest to push a little more in the earlier miles of an ultra to take advantage uh, to take advantage of the early morning low temps. I was prepared to say no, 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 right until he said to take advantage of cold temps. That is always intriguing. It is, if it's going to get hot, what do you do? Do you try to get ahead of it? And I'm still going to say no. I'm still going to say no, you don't get ahead of it. But I will say that this is the one type of ultra that you can go into intending to... uh knowing I'm going to get a little slower as soon as the sun comes up. It's not, I intend to blow up. It's I'm going to still run my heart rate, but let myself run faster if needed. I would, I would say that that's, that's the only concession I would make is that you can go in expecting to fade a little more than usual pace wise, but not effort heart rate or feeling wise. 
Heart rate, yes. Heat will make your heart rate go up. Just like altitude. It gives you a fake heart rate that doesn't necessarily correlate to the effort you're putting out. Yeah, Chris, rent always comes due. And temperatures being lower or higher uh, can make the cost of rent a little lower or a little higher, but rent will be paid and it will be in a narrow scope of payment, meaning like allow your body to be a little more relaxed than normal early on so that when it comes time to sink your teeth into the effort later, uh, we haven't over revved. What you're asking in theory makes sense, but when it comes to being on feet for five or six hours, Look at it as a gift, a gift in order to work sub-maximal early so that when it matters, you may have a gear or two that you didn't know was still there in the late stages of the race. And I think you still run your best race by not revving hot too early. Just look at your watch and be like, oh, that's a beautiful heart rate at this pacing or this effort. Allow that to be a win early so that you can build momentum as you go think of the mental side effect of starting out hot and then fading home and knowing that's your game plan that doesn't bode very well when this is a cerebral heady five six seven hour race that's only demomentize momentum momentize how would you say that demomentizing <laughs> that's not a word but you understand what i'm saying like let's build momentum as we go and so just staving off early i think is still important and how good would it feel to be watching that cardiac drift happen but still being able to hold pace and effort and make charges when you mm -hmm. want so i get it good question but i still would hold yeah back. well and it's so tough because you that makes sense if i could have five less miles to run once it gets hot how awesome would that be but the reality is you're going to be more tired when that heat hits that's going to be really the only difference and have both of us we've raced in heat and the difference, but let's say we were doing a 50 mile race. And if you got to 40 miles before the heat hit, or you got to 45 miles before the heat hit that difference, 15 to go or 20 to go, it doesn't matter. <laughs> what matters is what do you have left? And the way that heat hits is it doesn't hit you until it's already too late. The sun doesn't rise and it like a, a flip switches and you go, all right, we jump 20 degrees there. It's time to cool off the pace. No, it sneaks up on you. It raises one degree, half a degree at a time. And all of a sudden you're behind on resting. You didn't get off the gas early enough and you're depleted. So yeah, Kirk, I'm just going to side with you. I don't think it's worth the risk. And I don't even know if a human could accurately do that. Run hard, back off and just absorb the heat on like a sliding scale. I don't think that exists. Yeah, me either. In theory, it's a great question. It really is. It's, I don't, we don't mean to make you feel silly for asking. Fantastic. No idea there and you sound like somebody who runs hot like yeah but, yeah well and there's two important things to remember one i don't know of any elite athletes who try to set world ultra or marathon records specifically uh ultra like flat time the 50 mile for example i think the 50k was just broken world record by cj albertson like he averaged 506 or 504 or something for 31.1 miles but they're all done in spring or fall I don't know any of them that that rev up for a summer race because heat plays that much issue. Oh, yeah. A minute, yeah, that's not unheard of. <laughs> a minute difference in pace if it's really hot versus cool. And then this is one of the things that body mass plays into. Really, really light runners do better in heat and do way worse in the cold. And people with more mass on them do way worse in the heat and do way better in the cold. And so, again, identifying what type of runner am I? 
Am I a really, really low body fat percentage athlete who needs to bundle up like crazy in the winter and will do better in summer? Or do I carry more body fat on me and I'm going to be just fine and cold, but now I have to really under rev in the heat because I require more energy to cool myself down. Yeah. Good point. We'll move to the second part of this question. Uh, number two, shoe choice in parentheses, Bracken's ears perk up at this point. I have done training long runs in both the Nike Alpha Fly and the Saucony Speed 3. Both feel good, but at 18 to 20 miles, the Alpha Fly still keeps my feet and legs feeling a little fresher. The Ultra is not on the road, but it's listed on trail ratings as a one out of five for both surface, gravel impact, dirt, and elevation. Flat. Would it be wise to use the Alpha Flies on anything other than road races? It's got a one elevation rating, which says flat or nearly flat. And it has a one for surface rating, which actually says paved or very smooth surface. I'd bring them both. Mm -hmm. I'd chat with the race director. I'd email them beforehand. This is where you got to start stalking things. If this isn't the first year of the race, there are going to be pictures. So you go back through and you look at all the pictures from every checkpoint last year. You find different finishers. You go to their social media. You check their stuff out. You try to look for YouTube videos of the course. If this is a course that is not just a race course, it's also accessible throughout the year. You try to find people who maybe had their camera going on their bike while biking this. You find everything you can to determine it, and you still bring two shoes on race day. Yeah, All Trails is really good at people posting photos of the trail. If you have that app and just pick up the trail, you're on. Mm -hmm. Everybody loves to post the photos of the trail when they're on their hike with their dog or whatever it is. And so you I do that every time, Kirk. Yeah, I bet you do. Lisa would be good helpful help for that. Yeah, every time on All Trails, if I'm running somewhere while we're camping, I'm swiping to find pictures of surface yeah. to see what shoes am I taking out there. This mm -hmm. is the research that people who are serious about their competing do. And if it's an ultra, you don't want to guess wrong with shoes. When in doubt, you choose the safer one. Just like we talked about with that Q&A on, on Friday, where if there are trails and there is road, then you choose the one that's going to not hurt you the, the most. So have the speed along, but that, that alpha can run on smooth trail. I like the idea of the alpha fly. It, it's more, I'm more concerned about ground contact and how you feel with push off. Meaning like, do you feel like you're slipping when you push off? If there's enough traction on the forefoot of that alpha fly for you or not. And that, that forefoot, that tread does wear off like decently quick. So it can be smoothed out. So you want to check that a good option for that race would be, uh, the Hoka Tecton X. It runs really well on cement and hard pack, but it's got like, have you, you've run in the Tecton, right? Do you own that Bracken? I forget. Yeah. In fact, I used it yeah. Saturday. Yeah. And it's, it's a spongy ride. Like it's a, it's a damage saver a lot like the alpha fly is, um, not quite as much, but like it would be a good middle ground and you can run, I can run cement on that pretty well. So it'd be something might be too late to, to pivot there, but I would consider that option. I'd be bringing that for sure. If something would describe like that. Yeah. I would bring one third option for if it rains. Because both the Saucony bottom and the Nike bottom are pretty horrendous when it gets wet. Even just yep. smooth tarm asphalt when it gets yeah, wet in the weird, Alpha Fly is like a non-starter for me. And so is the Endorphin Pro. Like even the Endorphin yeah. Pro, I ran on a wet track and it was like, what? I felt like I had no efficiency with the push-up. I was slipping, yeah. Yeah, both of those are kind of known as bad and wet. No matter what the surface is, if it gets wet, you don't want either of those on your feet. So have that third option. So now, yeah. now you're back to bringing three shoes to a race again. <laughs> no problems. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, Agalis, we'll go with, asks. Before you do, Kirk, during the testing of these shoes, 
Yeah. One of the days I aborted testing, I was doing the mile intervals mm-hmm. with the shoes and there was just a slight misting on this freshly paved bike path. And anytime there was tar on it, it was like I was ice skating. I had my feet slide a little bit. Like I was hydroplaning in the alpha flies and it was terrifying. Wild. Doesn't surprise so, me though. Yeah. It was so bad. I had to stop the interval. So just really, please don't wear that shoe if it's raining. Well, in this time of year, like, I don't know about here, but like this weekend I was out deer hunting in the morning and there was frost over everything. And, and that includes surfaces. Ugh. And then that melts as the sun comes up and then the whole ground is wet, even with no precipitation in the air. Um, and so that can be a factor on trails or paved stuff. Like you get a hard frost overnight and then it starts to warm. It's just something to think about with the temps. I'd look at that as well. Cause that makes a big difference. I got out of yeah. the woods and I was soaking wet, like soaking wet. My pants were soaked through from running, rubbing against tall, uh, previously frosted grass. And I was like, this is BS. I should have worn my rain pants. So point being is that happens in the fall too. Yeah. All right. Continue. Um, little side note there. All right. Agalis says hey hi guys for your q a what are your thoughts on the ability and usefulness of trying to quantify one's aerobic base it's a term that gets thrown around an awful lot but how do we put some meat on its bones do you have any thoughts on decoupling runs to measure the difference between pace versus heart rate at the front end versus back end uh, blocks uh, of target race time distance do you have any other tools or ideas on the subject thanks and keep up the good work um, yeah, I like, this is a good question. Again, mm-hmm. people are splitting hairs and getting, uh, getting curious about, uh, the, I don't know. Yeah. The weeds we'll call it. I, yeah, I do like it. I, I'll jump in right away and say, I do this myself. So out of curiosity, I will just see what, um, it'll be like basically a recovery run, but I'll actually prescribe myself two things. I either prescribe myself a heart rate and I try to keep it there. But for me, what's easier to do is prescribe a pace and just keep it there and see what my heart rate does in response to that pace. I can nail a pace, but the heart rate gets a little goofy with fluctuations with like small undulation and terrain. And so for me, I have a run, I consider it a recovery run and I go out and run between 6.55 and seven minute pace per mile. Um, and I have the lap function on my watch. So I nail it. Remember, just look at your lap function on your watch. It will tell you exactly your projected pace. Anytime I did it on my cut down long run yesterday and I nailed it. It's easy to do if you're in control there. And I just see, okay, what did my heart rate do in response to this? And I often choose the pacing mechanism that's somewhere on the, like the faster end of my recovery work. And I pick that pace and I go run it and I just see what my heart rate does. Don't do it on a windy day. Don't do it on an extenuating circumstance with the weather. So whatever, think, what do I run on my recovery days? Pick the faster side of that, but still within like what you would call a recovery effort and go run whatever your recovery duration is and just see what your heart rate does in response. For me, that tells me what my like baseline aerobic, I guess, whatever engine where it's at. And I like that simple test. So fast side of your recovery pacing, nail it, see what your heart rate does in response and pick a a generally pleasant weather day. So you get consistent readings from time to time. It's just a good confidence booster if you think you've built underlying aerobic fitness. So that's the first one I go to just more for like something to do that day and still get a recovery effort in. What, yeah. what about you? Yeah. And that's very similar to the, uh, the, the aerobic threshold, the heart rate drift test from uphill athlete. Yeah. And theirs is basically you choose a heart rate that you believe is your, um, your, a, a good solid aerobic heart rate. And then you warm up to that 
and ideally you do it on a treadmill and then whatever pace you're running as you settle into that heart rate you just set it there so you can choose a heart rate or you can really just choose a pace you might just choose eight minute pace and that's always your baseline test you go out and you run for an hour at that and if your heart rate drifts less than 2.5 percent then you were working at low end of aerobic that's probably a good recovery pace if it drifts over five percent that wasn't an aerobic heart rate you might have started or it wasn't an aerobic pace it might have started aerobic but it drifted too much you couldn't sustain that and then if it's 2.5 to 5 percent i believe i'm describing this correctly it's right in the sweet spot and so even though that's not really the point of the test is to pick a pace and find like for me if i just throw on seven minute pace i find out where my aerobic threat where my aerobic capacity is currently yeah. If I can just not drift really at all at seven minute pace for an hour, then I'm sitting pretty good. And if I drift, then I'm out of shape. That That's the way I look at it for mine. So I, I the first thing I do is I change the term. I don't look at aerobic base. I think base is an undefinable term. And I look at capacity, aerobic capacity. Mm-hmm. And that changes. Then, then, yeah, throw metrics on it. Try to choose what you think your aerobic pace is and see how much you drift during that time. Or just set out to do two hours at at seven minute pace or nine minute pace whatever thing you think this is totally aerobic if you can't do it for two hours then currently your aerobic capacity is lacking a little bit compared to where your fitness has been in the past and you can just repeat those tests over and over and over every month to tr- mm-hmm. or every two weeks track how you're progressing well the nice thing about checking those is like you're not you could do that the day before a quality day if you wanted to go out and run an hour and yeah. just play like it's not really um, a detriment to what's coming up next because we're testing like underlying aerobic capacity without like really burning the heart rate too hot. And so I like that. I like that idea for you. It should be like, see, I have a harder time. Like you either pick like a five beat per minute range and you say, I'm going to stay between 135 and 140 mm-hmm. and the pace will be what it is. It gets tricky when you hit rollers or into a headwind versus a tailwind, um, which is why I just like pacing because it's easier for me to nail. But um the interesting thing about cardiac drift is it will happen. So don't think you're a loser when it happens. I remember I did this for a 16 mile run, um, this last, I don't know, spring or something. And no matter what, like that heart rate, I averaged like 136 beats per minute for the first 12 miles. And then I look at my heart rate graph with the same pacing. And it was like 142, 144, 146. The last four miles got me after I got to like an hour 20 and nothing mm-hmm. changed with my pacing. It just happens. And yeah. so expect it. Like, it doesn't mean you're out of shape when you see cardiac drift. Eventually, that heart rate would have gotten up into the 150s, maybe the 160s if I took it long enough. It's just how the body responds. Yeah, and that's why keeping that drift test an hour or slightly under is key. Right. Yep. You shouldn't drift under an hour, really. Maybe. I mean, you might, but that means your pace is a little hot. If you're running truly aerobically, you won't drift in the first 40 to 60 minutes. But if you do, it tells you what you need to know. Right. And me going 16 miles at that is a good example. Yeah. Like, don't base it on that. Yeah. Too long. Um, okay. Next one from Marathon Man. Uh, Gary. His name is Gary. A little bit of an email here to both of us. Hi, Bracken and Kirk. I'm a longtime runner of 40 plus years on the streets and trails. Well, the sport of obstacle course racing isn't for me. I came across your podcast several months ago and love listening to you. I'm especially drawn to your level of detail for training as it translates to running, even when compromised OCR workouts are discussed. Uh, Thank you, Gary. I've had a history of knee problems with two arthroscopic surgeries on each knee, later followed by PRP and uh, Synvisc uh, injections in my right knee. 
I finally succumbed to a full right knee replacement in May 2020 and a partial left knee replacement five months ago. By doctor's orders, I can't run until six months after my surgery. I returned six months to the day with my first surgery and ran five half marathons and other assorted 5K and 10K races. I intend to resume running as soon as my six-month sentence passes, followed my recent surgery. I still have a lot of goals to accomplish, namely 14 more half marathons to complete my quest of 50 states. I like that. Wow. Uh, the last little bit here. So here's my question. I'm a competitive guy, even though I rarely podium and always seek to improve my times. Given I now have two bionic knees, can you recommend what you might think would be a good shoe? I've run in Hoka for over 10 years and the Hupana for nearly three years. Is there something on the market that offers better cushioning for a guy who's 6'2 and weighs 185? Thanks and keep up the good work. Regards, Gary. First of all, congratulations. Not, I would say you are not in the uh, majority who go through knee replacement. Most do not get back to the level of running you're targeting and have already done. So congratulations. Do you want to continue? Shoe guy? Yeah, if you want me to pick back up. Uh, First of all, I would actually address the shoe issue second, which sounds like blasphemy coming from me. But having gone through the knee surgeries, Gary, as I'm sure you've felt, everything else matters more than it used to your quads, uh, all aspects of your quads, your calves, your Achilles, your hips. I mean, in particular, calves, quads, hips, glutes matter more now because they have to to carry some, some of the slack of what your knees can no longer do. So that's actually where I would look to first is what is my, my strength and conditioning routine to ensure that everything around my knee is ready to carry a hundred per 120 percent of the work that they used to do i know he's a little controversial i don't think he's too controversial but the knees over toes guy really just has good solid insight on how to get everything else working to make up for terrible knee surgeries so i would start by looking into that type of work and then I would progress to shoes. And I think, yeah, you're a candidate for super shoes. I don't care if they're super propulsive shoes, but something that has more cushion to it and helps you roll your foot through a little bit. It's something that I was actually talking about with Lisa, about you, Kirk, about why I think super shoes are really good for you is because you have a bit of a stabbing foot motion that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Like you impact the ground pretty dramatically when you run. And with the added roll to a shoe, even if you come in like that, it transitions you forward rather transit rather just transitioning uh energy straight into the ground through every junction point in your legs i think it's beneficial to people like you and i who run not poorly but a little atypically does that make Mm. sense makes perfect sense yeah and and i don't think that's the only reason you've been injury free but i don't think it's debatable that part of the reason you can do these long hammer it out workouts is the shoes are actually helping channel the energy that you naturally drive into the ground. And I think for someone like myself or Gary with knee issues, anything in a shoe that will allow you to hit the ground and transition for you rather than just bang that damaged knee into the ground is a beneficial thing. So Hoka certainly has it. Um, They have, I think, a Bondi X. It's like a carbon-plated rocker, fully cushioned. It's probably going to be the most cushioned Hoka line you're going to find there. But every shoe, Saucony has the Shift. Uh, New Balance has their, their what, what do they call their new one? Super, Super Comp SC or something like that. Every, every brand has a big, 
billowy, cushy, rolly shoe out there. And I think it really benefits people who are damaged in the, the knee area. Yeah. Bulletproof the support staff so we don't lose that point that Bracken made. Um, take the time to bulletproof. And I'm sure that's part of your rehab from this knee surgery. I'm hoping you're prescribed. But we did an episode with uh, two PTs, Dr. Pete and Dr. Ben, the piddly, the piddly shit, I think we called it, um, which is all those little ancillary movements, the lateral stuff that is going to help support um the knee, the hip, the ankle. So getting, if you can't necessarily get under heavy load because that knee is obviously recovering, we're probably going to be contraindicated there. Work that support stuff. Exactly as Bracken said, go in as bulletproof as you can from a strength standpoint, because that knee is going to need all the help it can to function properly. So um, very good point. I think that's the most important point actually. And then shoes is so subjective. You're right. I want to clarify that when Bracken suggests super shoes or some of these out there on the market, um, I agree with you 100%. I just think my misconception before I tried them, you know, I have two super shoes. I have the Alpha Fly and I have the Saucony Endorphin Pro. They couldn't be more different. The Saucony Endorphin Pro is a hard, firm ride. It shoots right back up your leg. You get great return of energy because of the firmness. You just hit the ground and it sort of, I don't know how I would describe it, but on the Alpha Fly, it's like you might as well be on a different planet as far as shoes go, as far as the cushion goes. And so you just got to be careful. Like I thought all super shoes would sort of feel the same. And my first uh, taste was the Endorphin Pros, a firm ride, but it helped me run fast. I felt good about it. Got a lot of return out of my foot strike investment. Then I went to the Alphas and I was like, oh, I thought all super shoes felt like the Endorphin Pros. They don't. So you just have to be, I would choose one that has a little more give to it, like an Alpha or like some of the other models out there versus those real firm, like the Hoka Carbon X, for example, real firm ride. Endorphin Pro, like mm-hmm. stay away from those. I'd go I'd go more along the lines of what you mentioned with the Alpha or the Bondi X or something like that. Yeah, and maybe super is the wrong term. Something enhanced, something super with foam. some- Super foam, yeah, with some rocker is where I would go. I don't think people need to train in the super shoes per se, yeah, but something that'll give you some extra support. Any other specifics you want to dive in there with that one? No, no, Let's I'd go. focus on part one. Shoe can come later. Focus on bulletproofing everything in that chain of command down there. Yep, smart. I only have one, wait, two screenshots left. Awesome. Or wait, no, one. So you might want to look and see if you have any. Otherwise, we'll be at about an hour anyway, so we'll be good here. So uh, this one is from Justin. Uh, Hey, guys. Been a minute. Hope all is well with each of you, but I have a question. Um, My daughter is having an awesome cross-country season. Just had a big PR on a two-mile course, 1410. In the offseason, I am hoping she's going to play basketball or she's expressed coming with me to CrossFit for their kids' class. I want to keep some fitness over the winter if she's for it. And I had the thought of developing some power, and the first thing that came to mind was incline hiking on the treadmill. There's a new fitness fad, but could be good, I think, for her. But 12, 330, 12%, 3 miles per hour for 30 minutes. Will this help? Should we keep running? Goal is to keep cardio, build strength, yet limit impact. And most importantly, no burnout and have fun with it. 12, 330, I could care less about. Maybe 12, 30. 12%, 12%, 30 minutes. That sounds mm-hmm. great. The three, I just, again, it's one of those blanket statement things that for some people that's going to be a walk and for some people that's going to be over their VO2 max and they're going to be hurting. I, I, I don't like things like that to put out there into the public. So yeah, 1230 sounds great. I, how old is she? No, it doesn't say. 
She's cross country season, so she's prob and it's a two middle mile school cross. Or high school. They probably oh, do middle two school, miles right? in middle school, I would assume. They'll go to two and a half or a four K in high school, right? And she's so. doing basketball? Yep. So this is an addition. All right, so I've done this. All right. My brother's done this. I've done this. Um, a couple of our teammates have. If you run cross country and you're trying to keep fitness into spring for a track and you play basketball, you are getting all the foot speed, all the turnover, all the anaerobic you could ever need. So just jog. Power hiking would be just fine. Riding a bike would be just fine. Jogging. I think I ran roughly four, four days a week my senior year. In addition to basketball, did zero speed work. And I focused on strength work, aerobic work. And every time we ran in basketball, I ran with purpose. I ran hard. And I dropped about 30 seconds, 26 seconds off my mile that year. Now, that's a sample size of one, but my brother did the same thing. He just ran aerobically and let basketball be his anaerobic. And you know what? You come out kind of quick doing that. So I would not put any focus on any structure whatsoever. I'd say, hey, if this was Ayla, my daughter, Ayla, what do you like doing? All right, that's what you should do. And that would be the extent of it. It's really good advice. Um, Basketball is a lot of work, a lot of fast twitch, a lot of lateral move. She's going to be anaerobically very sound, which would actually be really good for her development. I find um, super beneficial at that age. Now, his question was, I want to keep some fitness over the winter, and if she's for it, and I had the thought of developing some power, and the first thing that came to mind was incline hiking on the treadmill. Incline hiking is not going to develop power at 15%. So I don't think that's the right angle. In In my opinion, the right angle, if you're looking to develop power, would be to go through some lower leg strength routines. Um, or something where it's lower rep scheme and you're getting her under some load. With basketball, I don't know if that's going to be super synergistic, but I do not believe incline hiking at 15% is going to develop any sort of power that's going to translate to her two-mile cross-country or her track season. I think it's going to be great for aerobic development, like Bracken mentioned, and because she's getting so much anaerobic work at practice, beautiful for exactly what Bracken outlined, but it's not going to develop power. Um, so just to, she'll develop power in her back to ball, basketball practice, running suicides and cutting back and forth. That's going to be great. But um, I think you think you forget about power and you just think about aerobic base and whatever she can do to get out on a weekend and go do for a three mile run and go, you know, do mm-hmm. that is exactly the right. So I'm just echoing your advice, but I don't think you're going to be developing power by incline hiking at 15%. No, no, I don't think so. And basketball lifting really helps with basketball. It really does, especially if it's focused around the things that are going to help you in basketball. So front squat, power clean, particularly hang clean, are really good for basketball. We rarely get low in basketball. We're generally exploding from a slightly bent position, and everything's generating upwards or laterally. So banded monster walks are really good. Front squats really good because that's a that's a rebounding position. That's that's basically how you start with a good base for shooting. Deadlifts fine, um, but hang clean, power clean, and hang clean are just dynamic basketball exercises, and they drive power development. So that's where I would stick. Teach a, teach that girl to hang clean. She can do that. She can be really stable under a basket while getting bumped into, while rebounding, just even while going to the basket. And then front squat as well is what I would do. Yeah, we solved it. Boom. We solved it. But now, keep her happy. 
Okay, it's totally. too young for structured mileage building during basketball. If basketball wasn't in play, maybe you could talk about other things. But sport developed anaerobic speed is the best, in my mm. opinion, when you're young. Because then it's play. You're developing it through play rather than through structure. A couple of steady runs or hikes a week if she can squeeze it in and has the uh, desire to do so. That simple. Worry yeah. about the other specifics once basketball is over and she starts building for track or whatever. Um, very good question, though. It's always tough. To, I have to imagine. I don't have kids uh, yet, but like, like what? How to how to groom them appropriately so they have a passion and a and a zest for what you're doing without making it work. Mm-hmm. And running is one of the trickiest because it's not really play. It is to a certain extent, but everything else that most other sports kids do are play. And there's like this in the moment fun aspect. It's work, of course, but like running is one of those things that really isn't play from the beginning. It's like work from the beginning. And so it's an interesting thing to groom a young athlete who's a runner because Mm -hmm. did you have fun out there? And the answer may be a forced yes, but it's typically not what we're doing out there. So it's tough to bring them along in the right way. It really is. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I feel really good. My Q&A folder is empty, Bracken. 58 minutes. Let's call it. My my recording says an hour and one right now. Oh, boy. <laughs> good. <laughs> Mine says 58.36. Once in a while, we have some uh, recording snafus. So thank you for being the editor in this situation, Bracken. I've been testing out some other software. It's not helping. <laughs> I keep coming back to the one that works for us. Yeah. I tried a new one this weekend. Uh, Rich Ryan recommended it. Actually gave a, gave me a login for it. I just, maybe I'm not intelligent enough. <laughs> I didn't get out of it what I wanted. Technology's hard. Um, go order your t-shirts. I'm being serious. If you thought about it, slipped your mind, uh, what's going to happen is somebody's going to message me in a week, be like, you don't have any smalls in stock. I'll be like, nope, that's your fault. So don't give me those right. messages. Order those shirts. They're on the running public. Don't either. Yeah. I'll save you the embarrassment of me not responding. (laughs) All right. You got anything to add, man? Nope. Guess what I'm heading to do right now, this very moment. I had my fruit snacks before this. So I'm ready to rock. You're going to do some intervals. Speed sprinkles. Speed sprinkles. I like it. 3060 today again. 3060? 3060. Be about. 445 try to work down to 35 and just and and that it's it's not about pacing right now it's about running my fastest stride before it changes to sprinting that fastest running stride and so that generally gets faster throughout that workout rep number one five minute pace feels like i'm trying to run a 40 yard dash and then by the end you work into it loosens up so yeah last time it got down around 440 this time i'll try to dip under a little when I was younger, I remember I'd go right into that pacing and it'd feel just butter. And now it's like, it takes me a few reps. It's like, this workout ain't going to happen. And then I'm like three, four reps in. I'm like, okay, maybe it'll happen. And then I'm five, six, seven reps in. I'm like, okay, it's happening. But like before, it'd be like out of the gates, like a light, just right into pacing. Yeah. Not it anymore. used to be the first rep was a freebie. Right. Like I want to feel snappy and fast. And then I'll get a little tight in my hammies while I'm resting in between. And then the workout starts settling in. And now it's like... Even in college, by the end, it was the first rep's going to lie to you and tell you you can't have a good workout today. And then you're going to loosen up and you're going to start running fast. Mm -hmm. That was, I think, the main difference between being young and not is what the first rep is. Some of the high-end older runners I follow, like um, 
I don't mean older in a bad way because I'm I'm getting there. But like Chad Trammell, I followed him on his or Strava a little while ago, and he'd have like four mile warm up before his thing. <laughs> and I was like, that is the dumbest shit I've ever seen. And now I'm getting up there, and I'm like, totally get it, <laughs> not a problem. I understand why you went that long and why you did whatever you did yeah. to get there. Like if it took you four miles to get there, like I'm understanding the engine starts a little slower these days. Um. All right, let's stop rambling. Yep. See you guys. Enjoy enjoy your day, folks. <laughs> <laughs>